Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. After a long couple of months, it's finally feeling like we're getting back to business as usual. But it's not the usual at all. At Missoula's Wingate, we are, as always, committed to giving you a relaxing stay at a great value. But we're also balancing the new guidelines, like maximum pool occupancies and increased disinfecting, to protect your health with a never-ending pledge to make you feel at home when you're not. If you find yourself on the road in the Missoula area, please consider staying with us at Missoula's Wingate. Welcome in. Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. If you're watching on TV, see me, Coulter Nuanas, sitting on the other side of the table. That's because we're going to get things started today. My good buddy and our producer here at ESPN Radio, Andrew Houghton, he, he and I will talk both heavyweight championship boxing, Grizzlies, Bobcats, and uh, everything in between. A little bit of a recap and a rehash of what we got to yesterday. And a uh, bunch of other stuff to get into. Hope you're having a great show. Or excuse me, a great Tuesday. I'm having a great show already. Just killing it here. Uh, I'm totally flustered because, well, first I'll tell you what we got coming up in the show. We give a bunch of updates on high school football across the state of Montana. I got our Trader State Stars for the day, uh, for the week as well. And uh, also going to hear from Vince Hunsberger, our latest Grizz Greats episode. Recorded with both Johansi Humphrey and Atu Molden. Uh, in the last couple days as well. So those episodes will be out uh, shortly. And uh, also efforting Andy Thompson, who is currently the defensive coordinator at Sacramento State. Of course, Sac State plays in Missoula this weekend. 
But Andy was on that 2001 National Championship team as well, so we'll have those uh, for you later on this week. Also, it's a Tuesday, so that means we have free Taglieri Deli for you. We also have Justin Angle swinging by. My good buddy and the uh, professor of business at the University of Montana Business School. It's a business angle, the overlay between business and sports. And then we'll get to whatever else we get to. But uh, the thing you're going to want to remember is 888-1029. First of all, if you've been following instructions, you're going to want to text us as soon as, you've told, as soon as you've done everything I've told you to do. We got a Traeger grill. We got a beef box from Haymaker Beef. And we have a big old supply, Alpine Touch. And then we also have an Otter box, a grill, and a cooler from Twisted Tea. All you got to do is follow Alpine Touch, Haymaker Beef, ESPN Missoula on the social medias, specifically Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to the Nuanas Now podcast, as well as the Nuanas Now YouTube channel. And then text us at 406-888-1029 and just say, I did it, I'm entered, I want the grill, I want the meat. Just get a hold of us any way that you feel fit. And uh, November 20th, that's the day Montana State comes to Missoula to take on the uh, Grizzlies. We will announce the winner. So uh, you're also going to want to remember that number, 406-888-1029. Because that's going to be your way to win Taglieri Deli as well. We got 25 bucks to Taglieri Delicatessen. Best sandwiches you're going to find anywhere in the state of Montana. If you want to stream the show, you can do it on YouTube, N-U-A-N-E-Z. Go over there, subscribe to it. Or you can stream it on our station website, 1029ESPN.com. Of course, we are broadcasting. From the Northwest Motorsports Studio. Northwest Motorsport, located at the corner of Stevens and Mount here in Missoula. You can also find the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Why am I flustered? Why am I out of sorts? Well, if you're watching on TV, you see I have uh, a variety of Apple devices in front of me. None of which are my uh, trusty laptop, which don't even get me started. It is a fully a crutch. Um, I'm not actually sure how to operate without it. You guys all think I probably have a phenomenal sports memory. I don't. I'm just a really fast typer, and I'm a really good Googler. That's actually not true. I do have a great mind for sports as well in terms of memorizing statistics. But uh, it is a crutch. My entire life and enterprise and everything is based around it. And uh, she ain't doing so good. So laptop's in the shop. My phone stopped working. Uh, randomly FaceTimes multiple people at once. Uh, it'll take a group text and just FaceTime them. Uh, I have group texts with my mother and my brother's mother-in-law, and, uh, you know, this is not a good situation. I'll let you fill in the blanks. You don't want to be automatically FaceTiming anybody at any time, particularly group FaceTimes and all of that. That's all to say that uh, I don't want to be that guy, but I have to be that guy. I just can't believe we have reached this point where everything uh, is we are beholden to the machine. And, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like the crazy guy, so I won't, but it just seems like a very precarious situation at very best. So regardless, as much as I don't like it or don't want it to be about that or uh, want to gravitate away from it, well, it's the world we live in. I work in media, and I love my job in terms of my ability to communicate with all of you. 
And I love telling stories. I love having conversations and uh, love entertaining. So that's all the good parts. And this is the required apparatus that you have to have. I'll just never forget when I was at the University of Montana Journalism School. I was on the 50th anniversary of the Montana Journalism Review. So for those non-familiar with journalism reviews, journalism entities, specifically a lot of times accredited professional journalism schools, they put out publications that are basically commentaries and reviews of the industry. Pretty self-explanatory. A journalism review is a journalism review. That's it. It's pretty standard. Well, the University of Montana's journalism review is the longest standing journalism review in the United States of America, affiliated with a school or otherwise. And some, I guess it would have been 12, maybe 13 years ago, I was on the 50th anniversary. So I believe the MJR is still going. I hope it is. But... It would be in its 63rd, 64th year probably now. But I was on the 50th anniversary. Our theme was the crossroads media was about to embark on. Because I know that sort of revisionist history, people think the internet's been around for 20, 25 years. It has, but it was not at a fever pitch. It was not at this tipping point that it has been the last 10 years. When I was a senior in college, junior, senior in college, that's when it was really starting to take off. Websites and, and things like that. Um, so... I remember I wrote my senior thesis on um, the influence of sports, of the internet on sports journalism specifically, but across the board, just journalism in general. Basically, the, uh, the thought, and I interviewed a variety of prestigious journalists. Basically, the consensus thought was the internet would be a nice supplementary complement to print, but that print was king and print would never die. It's not actually, it's not actually that print has died. It's that it's been repurposed so profoundly. People read words more than ever. They just don't read that many words in a row, hardly ever, and they consume it in a completely different fashion. But imagine having information in your pocket 50 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Now it's all right there for better Way better access to information, way more instantaneous information. For worse, way less thoroughness, way less thorough reading. So that's all to say that the cover of our Montana Journalism Review some 15 years ago was a picture of the former dean of the journalism school, Jerry Brown, and a young lady that we had model for the picture. And she had cameras and recorders and microphones and cords and all these things hanging out. And I remember thinking to myself, if that's where it's going, that ain't for me. I don't want to have a bag full of cords everywhere I go. And now, here I am, and what do I carry around every day, every single place I go? A bag of cords. So that's, uh, that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, you can't complain about the world unless you're trying to change the world. And I don't know if we're changing the world at all, but I live in this world. And so that's all I got. Thanks for being there for me. Thanks for listening to all of that because uh, it's frustrating. It takes so long to, to do all this stuff, right? And when you work in the media, you have to be able to communicate information instantaneously. Therefore, just taking all your devices to the shop, so to speak, isn't really an option. Yet, when they don't work, it's the only option. So, uh, it's been a frustrating day. It's been a frustrating uh, week or so as everything has been seemingly failing all at once. 
But I got the iPad, I got the iPhone, I got the computer in the shop. This says that my data has about six minutes left till it transfers. So <laughs> if you text us right now and uh, want to get a hold of us, I'll get those soon. Someday, I guess. Nuana is now your daily therapy session, let alone maybe some sports talk radio. Let's talk sports. First and foremost, uh, when you do this for a living and you consume sports all the time, the more you watch, the, the less you become sort of totally flabbergasted or thrilled or elicited hardly any emotional reaction for what you watch because you just sort of stack it up. And uh, I don't know, there's a variety of reasons for it. I guess what I'm saying, though, is oftentimes going into watching a sporting event, they either are just right on par with what I expect them to be or they're a little bit disappointing is the wrong word, but, you know, lackluster. Every once in a while, though, you get an epic game. Like, we've had some phenomenal football games, specifically in the Bobcat-Grizzly football rivalry, but across that rivalry. But I, speaking of technological struggles, Saturday night after the Grizz football game, uh, we were working. I had uh, a bunch of content coming in from Bozeman from the Bobcat win, and uh, Andrew Houghton was writing his stuff for Skyline, and I was editing some photos, and that's all to say that I was really, really itching to watch the championship fight, the heavyweight championship fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. I wanted to for a variety of reasons. One, I, I knew it would make good radio, but also I've just always been into fighting combat sports. My uh, late father was a um, phenomenal martial artist. He, he was a, a fourth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, and he competed in Taekwondo, as well as uh, semi-professionally as a full-contact fighter for many years. So some of my most vivid memories as a child, in fact, my my earliest memories, to be sure, were Mike Tyson fights. We lived in Ely, Nevada. My dad was working in the mine there at uh, Ward Mountain, running Alta Gold. And it was a cool uh, sort of experience because Ely, Nevada is about 9,000 feet above sea level. It's up in the mountains. It's so, so, so rustic and rural and isolated and cold. But it was an interesting situation because pretty much everybody in town worked at the mine. And everybody in town worked at the mine and then lived in a house that was basically provided by the mine. So then my father, as the foreman of the mine, was basically everybody's boss and their landlord all at once. This made for a very tight-knit community, though. Not a very big town. I don't even know what it was, probably 1,000, 1,500 people, but a mine in town to be sure. And we used to always order the, the fights. This was in the late 80s and early 1990s when Mike Tyson was at his absolute fever pitch. So some of my earliest memories, like I remember vividly being four, four and a half years old and Mike Tyson getting knocked out by Buster Douglas. I remember that. That's my first sporting memory, I think. So that's all to say that I've always really gravitated toward championship bouts, particularly the heavyweight championship bouts. A couple things about this, uh, the, the surroundings of this fight before we actually get into this, the actual, uh, what transpired in the fight, which that's what I'm saying. It fully exceeded my expectations. I actually thought it was one of the best fights I've ordered in quite some time. But first and foremost, I called around to a bunch of our great supporters here at the show, asked them if they had the fights on. They all thought I was talking about UFC fights, which is in itself symbolic of the state of boxing as a whole, especially heavyweight boxing as a whole. 
Finally, I bit the bullet, decided I'm going to pay $79.99 for this fine fight, which I thought in itself was quite um, <laughs> quite spendy. It, uh, But, you know, I, I really wanted to, again, I really wanted to watch it, not just because I thought it was going to be a good fight, but also just because I thought there was real discussion to be had about it no matter what, no matter if it was a good fight or not, which is what we're doing now. But then the uh, lead-up to the fight, it was very strange coming out of the locker room because Deontay Wilder didn't want to come out of the locker room. So we'll bring in Andrew Houghton because he and I live together now, and we were watching this thing together. Um, And so let's just talk about the lead-up to this because we were sitting there kind of waiting for it, waiting for it. We were doing some work, but then all of a sudden it was kind of like, is Wilder coming out? And all they kept talking about was this sports science that Deontay Wilder's gone under. And this massive amount of muscle that he's put on and 250% increase in his punching power. All fun nerd stuff to be sure. But all I kept thinking was, all they're saying is the guy is taking performance-enhancing drugs. And I just thought it was such a weird way to lead up to the fight. And then it was this mystery of if he would even come out. So so just at this interview, what did you think of just the way that this whole thing started? Well, I thought... The word for this fight, and this is the thing that boxing still does better than anything else in the world, it was just a spectacle from beginning to end. It was a show, and that started with the will-he-won't-he of Deontay Wilder just sitting in the locker room, and people were like, "He's he's never been the challenger before, first of all, so he's never had to make the ring walk first. And it's just like, what is going through his mind as he gets ready for this trilogy? He's just keeping everybody waiting. And then to go from that into his entrance, into Tyson Fury's ring walk, was like, you don't get that in any other sport. It was it was really a spectacle. Absolutely was. And uh, that, you're right, it is what boxing does better than anybody still, for sure. So then finally Wilder comes out. And as he takes his robe off, Wow. I mean, they weren't lying. He uh, is was in a physically impressive specimen, to be sure. He looked all sorts of jacked. I mean, for those that don't know, I guess I should I should preface this by saying, if you're not familiar with these guys, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if you weren't, just because this has been, uh, it's, it's fallen away from sort of mainstream American sporting lexicon so much. But Deontay Wilder is... Tall, long, and lean. He's got a ridiculous reach. He swings for the fences when he's throwing punches. But no one can ever really consider him massive. He's been, I mean, he's a big guy because he's tall. But he was significantly buffer than than he has ever been for any fight in his life. Why? Because Tyson Fury comes into this thing. How tall is Tyson Fury? 6'5", 6'6"? 6'8". 6'8", and he's weighing in at 277. I mean, like you said, when he's walking down, first of all, we're going to get into the the pre-Tyson Fury entrance as well in a minute, but you said before he even came out of the locker room, the dude should be playing offensive tackle, and it's hard to argue. I mean, he's 6'8", 280 pounds in boxing shape. Right, and then there was the visual of Deontay Wilder, who's 6'3", 6'4", whatever. He was the heaviest he'd ever weighed for a fight in his life. He's jacked. The man's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He looks like, you know, Nick Saban's pipe dream, you know? Absolutely, he does. That's the number one thing I wondered about was Nick Saban, or not just Nick Saban, but this dude grew up in SEC country. That's been my biggest argument for why heavyweight boxing has maybe taken a step back. 
because so many guys that were built to be or have the heavy or have the the um, the stature, the mentality, the psychology, all of that to be a boxer. Instead, they just go play defensive line, like you're saying. So it's actually sort of amazing that he didn't just go play at Georgia or Auburn. Right. I think the thing is that a lot of these people who who are boxers or who used to be boxers and who who play football. They grow up in sort of like the same socioeconomic stratus, you know? They're, sure. they're poor kids from the South who are just really athletic. Used to be a lot of these kids were were boxers. I've thought about that element as well. Because Mike Tyson is somebody that I've studied more than maybe any sports figure. I'm obsessed with Mike Tyson. I've watched every Mike Tyson documentary there is. If you know a Mike Tyson doc, text it to us right now. 406 1029 because I want to know if anybody out there has Tyson documentaries that I haven't seen. But I think that the film titled Just Tyson, the James Toback documentary, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. But the story of Tyson was the story of so many boxers. Guys that were sort of living in the streets and in big cities and wayward and you know juveniles getting arrested when they were kids. And then they stumble into a boys and girls club or they stumble into the local boxing club or you know, one of the local boxing trainers takes them in under their wing. Well, that's the, the varsity football coach now, right? That's, that's the, that is the, um, the high school teacher that's saying, hey, son, you need to come out here and play outside linebacker for us. It's sort of been replaced, and it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. I think it gives a lot of disenfranchised or less advantaged kids opportunities to get out, but also I think that the dynamic has just shifted. But regardless, uh, the point here is that Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, they look every bit like football players. They certainly could be football players, uh, but this was the heaviest of any of the heavyweight championship fights ever. The, 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 the biggest cumulative total for what these guys weighed. That combined with the fact that they both have such tremendous knockout prowess, that's why all the lines in Vegas had it at even money or even uh, favorable odds that the fight would end before it went to the card, regardless of who won. And so I thought that was fascinating as well. I think the biggest thing with a fight like that and why this was such a classic fight is because even with all that, man, they came out swinging. A lot of times when you have two guys with just knockout power, you're trying to establish the jab, you're trying to stick and move. Because you know that if you get too close, one punch and you're done. But I think that was the big thing from the first fight is that Tyson Fury walked into Deontay Wilder's best punch, got laid out on the canvas, but got up within 10 seconds. So he knew and Deontay Wilder knew that he could take Wilder's best punch. He had that confidence. Wilder had that knowledge that he was going to have to throw a lot more volume. So that takes it away from just being a puncher's battle. You know, these guys actually had to fight, and that's what I loved about it. I mean, Wilder came out in the first round trying to set up the body shots. Fury Fury loved it, man, because he's a pure boxer. I mean, he loves throwing combos back, counterpunching. So I think this was a fight that really could have been sort of a boring clash of styles because of both those guys' power, but it turned out not to be, and that's what I loved about it. No question. And so then the, the fight transpires, and Tyson Fury was a, a big favorite in this. I think he's about minus 250 pre-fight, and right when the fight was about to kick out, about minus 300. Somebody's got to bet 300 bucks to win $100 on him straight up. And uh, Wilder got him, not once but twice early on. 
And I'm not sure, has, has Fury ever gotten knocked down in a fight? In the first fight. That's in the what, very first fight, right. In the first fight against Wilder, that was the the huge story coming out of that fight is that Wilder, Fury was whipping him around the ring for, for 10 rounds. Wilder got a late knockdown, and Fury just barely beat the count. And that's where everybody was like, oh, man, we need to do this fight again. And there was also the narrative that uh, Fury was so savvy and smart for waiting all the way until the nine count to get up. Oftentimes guys scramble up and then they're not necessarily ready, but he uh, definitely like laid on the, the canvas um, to make sure that he was all good. But then it keeps going back and forth. And uh, then finally, at the end of the day, Tyson Fury with a massive right haymaker that drops Deontay Wilder, not to the canvas, but to the top rope. Probably the iconic picture coming out of this fight is Wilder unconscious with one of his arms over the rope and a humiliating photo for him to be sure, but an amazing photo for Tyson Fury because I think he is one of the unique heavyweight champions we've ever seen. I mean, this guy was once 400 plus pounds. Uh, he's like, as one of our other good buddies, Darren, who was over kicking it, watching the fight, was saying, if you've seen the movie Snatch, the Brad Pitt movie Snatch, uh, the Guy Ritchie film, he's like somebody off of that. He's like this this gypsy soul who who you could almost imagine not even having a house. And so for him then to be this anti-hero and everyman at the same time, it was unbelievable. He not only knocks out Deontay Wilder, and by the way, for those who haven't followed this, Wilder doesn't get knocked out. He knocks people out. He's knocked out pretty much everybody he's ever fought. He was undefeated in his career until Tyson Fury emerged. And then all of a sudden, Fury knocks him out two times in three fights, and Wilder's sitting there staring around wondering what's his legacy. But then to put a cap on what you said, the spectacle, first of all, we haven't even talked about Tyson Fury's entrance. One of the weirdest, most bizarre things I've ever seen. For lack of a better way of putting it into words on for a radio audience, it was like this gypsy dancer man that looked like he was out of 300 wearing all this face makeup and squirming around like a, a serpent coming out of a genie bottle or something. I couldn't believe it. I was taking video of my own TV because I was so blown away by what we were watching. Yeah, so Deontay Wilder eventually w- walks and comes out to the ring, and they're sitting there waiting for Tyson Fury. And, like, the first shot on the TV of Tyson Fury's walkout are, like, this guy's painted black nails, and he starts gyrating and stuff. Tyson Fury just comes out wearing, like, a Roman Centurion's helmet, staring straight ahead, guys with, like, Spartan shields behind him. It was incredible. I mean, it's something that—I've said it before— something that only boxing does now, and that's why, you know, people stay invested in it because the spectacle of boxing, when it's good, is like nothing else in sports. So that was that was incredible. And so then the spectacle gets an absolute exclamation point at the end because not only does Tyson Fury win in one of the most iconic knockouts that we'll probably ever see because these guys have both knocked each other down multiple times— and again, to knock out Deontay Wilder is quite a feat in itself, but also just what it meant for both of these guys' careers and, and the finishing of one of the great trilogies in heavyweight history, all of it, super, super rich. The spectacle, phenomenal. But then Tyson Fury, in his post-game or his post-fight interview, doesn't answer any of the questions, talks about whatever the hell he wants to talk about, and then grabs the mic and, and takes it from the interviewer and starts singing Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. And this wasn't just some half-assed rendition. This was great. And I'm just sitting here laughing at the TV, and I was sitting there thinking, this guy has hit this incredible spot in the public consciousness where 
He is everything that we say we want out of our athletes. He's unorthodox. He's unscripted. He comes from a crazy background. He doesn't look like anybody that's ever been in his position. He doesn't sound like anybody that's ever been in his position. He doesn't fight like anybody that's ever been in his position. And, oh, by the way, he's the ultimate songbird. (laughs) Yet, I was thinking to myself, it's crazy because that's everything the media wants in a guy to pump up, yet he's so beyond perfect in how unorthodox he is, it actually ironically takes away from his true stardom. It's crazy. Look, man, here's what I'll say. If Tyson Fury isn't one of the biggest stars in the world, that's it, man. Boxing's dead. For sure. If you can't turn this guy into... Like a globe-straddling Mike Tyson-type figure, man, your sport is—it has nothing going for it. Absolutely, absolutely, it, it is uh, certainly. It's like the Shohei Otani, uh, same formula, right? If Otani can't be one of the biggest stars in the world for baseball, then what does baseball do too? It's—it's it's the same dynamic. No doubt. And here's what it is. And I, I loved your story about, you know, growing up watching the fights. Here's the problem with boxing. People of my generation don't have that entry point into the sport anymore. Exactly. And people of your generation, I mean, Ray Andrews in his late 20s, like, you're not spending $80 on that. You can't. You can't, right? Like, and I was, I did it purely because I knew that I wanted to talk about it on the show. I wanted the experience. I wanted all of it. But that's an absurd entry point. And it's not even that. It's just all the, I mean, I don't know how many belts there are in each weight class. There's something like four organizations that have sanctioned belts. People from Showtime and Top Rank, they won't fight each other, so you never get unified title fights. The, the scoring is so opaque uh, and, and mysterious, and you get these weird results all the time. There's just no easy thing to grab onto and say, Oh, this guy is the best guy in his weight class. This guy is the guy you need to be watching. This fight is a fight between the two best people at this weight class. There's none of that, except when you have that, and it's Fury versus Wilder, and it's a great fight. But even then, if you haven't been watching the buildup, you haven't been paying attention to the stakes, Like you're not paying $80 for that fight. It's so true, man. And this brings me to another point that takes us down a completely separate rabbit hole, which we won't really hash out, but I I have to say it, and it's this. It's that I think that the world will always have a hard time compartmentalizing and absorbing truly violent combat sports. And you you say, well, Coulter, the the NFL is the biggest sport in the United States of America. The NFL is the biggest sport in the United States of America for three reasons. Communal gatherings and drinking, gambling, and fantasy football. The vast majority of people who watch football don't watch. They see the big hits across the middle. They don't see the omnipresent violence that happens in the box because they only watch the ball. So it's way more uh, palatable for them. Whereas, and, and then people would say, well, Coulter, why was boxing so popular in the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Characters. And I, that's the one thing that is sort of elusive to me right now in my diagnosis of this is Tyson Fury is that character. Why is he not as consumed as Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier or George Foreman? I don't know. I think that there's a variety of different talking points as to why, but I think that he is that guy. Like you said, if, if he can't be that guy, if people aren't going to gravitate towards him, I don't know what they're going to gravitate towards when it comes to boxing. 
Yeah, and I guess the other thing with boxing is that for so long, boxing was exactly the same as the NFL, as you mentioned it. Like, you're telling stories about growing up watching with your dad with all the the minors and stuff. It sure. was that communal gathering for a long time in America. It was a place where you could just gather with all your friends and have, have a drink. And it was the same thing for, for baseball, too, honestly, if we're talking about these sports that are falling off in terms of popularity. They're not anymore. I think the reasons are different for both sports, but it's so interesting, especially for... Boxing, I don't know if it is the violence or if America has just become less attuned to that violence, maybe, as time has gone on. I also think that there's an element of the violence. If you're into that sort of violence, you can go to the most violent sport ever created, which is mixed martial arts, which is... Uh, it's hard to say that anything was more violent than what we watched on Saturday night, honestly, because they these guys just pounded each other. But regardless, I think there is that outlet of USC. Great stuff. I didn't expect for us to blow through the entire first segment talking about this, but I, as I continue to speak, I realize just how compelling it really is. So uh, there you go. Heavyweight championship boxing. It was a fight worth ordering, and uh, if you didn't order it, I'm sorry for you, but certainly worth watching. We're going to talk Grizz football, Bobcat football, and high school football. Plus, we're going to hear from an all-time great Grizzly. Keep it right here. It's Nuanas Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. ESPN Missoula Sports Center. The Spartans remain the team to beat in Class AA. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. Missoula Central moved to 6-0 this season and won for the 16th straight time overall by posting a 35-0 win over Missoula Big Sky on Friday night. That handed the Spartans the city championship and helped Sentinel stay atop this week's Treasure State Media Poll. The Spartans earned 16 of the poll's 17 first-place votes. Billings West, a 30-0 winner over Billings Senior, whose only loss this season is to Sentinel, earned the other first-place vote and stayed steady at number two. Helena Capitals, 48-6 win over Missoula Hellgate helped the upstart Bruins rise to number three in this week's poll. And Helena High won for the second straight week, this time posting a 51-0 win over Kalispell Flathead to stick at number four. And Butte's 20-17 win over Kalispell Glacier knocked the Wolfpack out of the top five while thrusting the Bulldogs back into the rankings at number five. The Stats FCS Top 25 rankings are out for the week, and the Big Sky Conference has five teams in the top 20, including three in the top 10. Eastern Washington moved to 6-0 last week with a 63-17 drubbing of Northern Colorado to move to number two in the nation. Montana moved up one spot to number five after a 31-14 non-conference win over Dixie State. Montana State moved up to number nine following a 45-7 win over Cal Poly. UC Davis is 13 and Weber State is 19. This 102.9 ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Aspen Sound. Good morning. 
one of the uh, most fascinating things to me when it comes to pop culture and music is when people become so famous, then they become like anti-famous or like people start to not like them because they resent themselves for liking them as much as they once did. It's so bizarre. This is only a relatively recent phenomenon because people just kept liking Michael Jackson until he was so famous that we basically killed him. <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh at that, but it is a darkly uh, strange phenomenon. And the Beatles, I mean, they didn't they didn't last long enough for us to have the, the sort of uh, being tired of them. But we've listed a lot of Kanye West around here, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't like Kanye because they've been just inundated with him or saturized by him or whatever. Or maybe you just follow his personal life too much. It's like my brother always says, man. Entertainers are there to entertain us. I'm not trying to get entertained by your personal life. It's like with professional athletes. Sometimes your personality infiltrates into the game. Like the amount of times Aaron Rodgers throws fits, it does detrimentally affect his team. Although he would say, look at all my MVPs and all my wins. So regardless, I just think it's fascinating when uh, we decide that somebody that we once glorified to such a high extent is now somebody, because we got tired of them, we need to uh, sort of push them to the side. So we've been listening to Kanye, and if you don't like it, I don't care because I love Kanye. I think he's uh, he's one of the uh, awesome artists of our time. I know he's a little out there, but I think he's an interesting character to be sure. Welcome back in. Nuana's now, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Back for, I'm not sure how many consecutive years they've been doing this, but they've definitely been doing this since I've been back in Missoula. Wildfire Defense Systems presents the Watson's Children's Center Tennis Pro-Am, which is hosted by the Peak Health and Wellness Center, October 21st through the 24th. Thursday, October 21st from 6 to 9, that's when the pro auction happens. So you can go participate in the auction. It's a live auction to get paired with a pro tennis player, a bunch of reputable tennis playing names that you can bid on to be your partner or to compete in this tournament. Uh, You can basically put a wager on them. Complimentary dinner and a cash bar at that silent auction on October 21st at the barn out there uh, at the ranch club. And then uh, that weekend then, Friday through Sunday, I guess Saturday and Sunday, there will be an actual tennis tournament. And you can play with a pro. There's a full breakfast bar Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, a whole bunch of other great stuff. Saturday evening, there's a VIP party for you and a guest for everybody that does participate in this tournament. And uh, the most exciting news is that this event is going to be emceed the Saturday night portion of it by the one and only Ryan Tutel, former co-host of this show, but he will be the lead host of Saturday's pregame tailgate show. So stay tuned for that as well. I got a quick turnaround coming back from Ogden, Utah. I'll be riding with you during the Grizz game and after the Grizz game. But before the Grizz game, it's going to be Ryan Tutel and Rajim Seabrook. But Ryan will also be emceeing this Watson Children's Center uh, Tennis Pro-Am. For all the information you possibly need, watsonchildrenshelter.org. That's watsonchildrenscenter.org. Children's Shelter, excuse me, watsonchildrenshelter.org. 100% of the proceeds go to support the Watson Children's Shelter. So that's a great cause. Time now for Prep Extra. You heard it there in the Sports Center, but uh, continued separation as we uh, progress during this high school football season. We're in the second half of the high school season now. And uh, a couple competitive games at the AA level, including a couple surprise scores, and then a whole bunch more 
that were just flat blowouts, which is sort of the case when it's the uh, the more competitive teams, the upper echelon teams versus the uh, non-upper echelon teams, as it were. Probably the best game of the week and definitely one that had impactful results on the standings. Butte took down Kalispell Glacier 2017. So Glacier, they don't have a bad loss because they have losses to Sentinel, Helena High, and now Butte. Those are three of the five or six best teams in the state, but it's still three losses. So Glacier, searching for answers. Uh, people have started to figure out Jake Rendina, the stud running back, at least a little bit. I don't know if they figured him out as much as they're just keying on him, and that's a testament to his prowess as a player. But um, they're certainly keying on him, and uh, he's been limited a little bit these last uh, couple weeks. Prep Texture, by the way, is presented by Farmer State Bank. Farmer State Bank has been enriching the lives of Montanans since 1907. Probably the biggest upset at the Class AA level in high school football, Bozeman over Great Falls CMR. CMR have been rolling. They only had one loss going in the weekend. But they lose 21-14 in Bozeman. So big win for the Hawks. Rustler's still right in the mix, especially for the Eastern AA title. But uh, maybe a little speed bump there because CMR had been rolling. And uh, so that's a good win for Bozeman and maybe a, a checkpoint for Great Falls CMR. Great Falls high, a ton of hype coming into the year. They were a preseason number four team in the state in the Treasure State media poll. And then they stumbled to an 0-4 start. They're having a really hard time scoring points. Well, they've figured that part out, and they've been scoring in bunches. And now, after an 0-4 start, uh, I believe that they've won three straight, and they had a 48-6 win over Billing Skyview this weekend. So, Great Falls High uh, maybe making a late push here to improve their seeding as the playoffs quickly approach. Helena Capital, they stayed hot. They took out Hellgate 48-6. Billings West also stayed hot. They uh, beat Billings Senior 30-0. So, West is your Magic City champions, the Billings City Champions after they beat Billings Skyview and Billings Senior. Helena High, after their loss to Sentinel, have had a couple of good wins, including this last weekend over Flathead 51-0. And Bozeman Gallatin, they take down Belgrade 42-0. A couple other uh, consequential scores. Florence, they laid it on Loyola 45-7 in the rivalry game. So Florence moves to 6-0. They seem like a team on a mission. Certainly one of the teams to beat. Uh, at the Class B level. And uh, probably the score that stood out the most in Class A, which, by the way, some of the top teams, they just continue to kind of take care of business. I mean, Laurel's right there. Building Central's right there. Miles City's competitive. Of course, Hamilton remains undefeated, although they had a forfeit a couple weeks ago, so they've had a hard time getting on the field uh, because East Helena just didn't have enough guys uh, for whatever issue that they might have been experiencing. Um, Dylan's in the mix there in Class A as well. Polson has been really good. Uh, we're efforting to try to catch up with Jarrett Wilson, the quarterback from Polson. Probably have him on this show later on this week. But the uh, the Class A score that really drew my attention, and for all the wrong reasons, was Columbia Falls beating Browning eighty-one to nothing. That's the largest margin of victory in a high school football game in the state of Montana ever. Uh, largest margin of victory, obviously, then at the Class A level. There's a running clock after you're up 35 points, so it seems almost impossible that you could get up 81 points. Browning um, is certainly a school that's rich with sports tradition, and they've been very, very good for a very long time in basketball. They have had a hard time maintaining or competing 
in several other sports, and football has been something that's been elusive to them, but they continue to compete. And, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues we could take in terms of the the regionality as well as the cultural influences that, that cater to what Browning excels and does not excel at. But regardless, they still fill the football team. And so I think it was completely unnecessary and borderline classless for Columbia Falls to lay that sort of whooping on them. When you are beating a team like that, you know you are. And so you've got to call off the dogs. And I, I guess I don't really know the full intimate details of this game. Maybe Columbia Falls had taken all of their starters out. Maybe they were playing the last guys on their bench and Browning still couldn't stop them. But I can't imagine that that's the thing. But I also can't imagine how you could ever manage the clock poorly enough to ever get up 81 points. So it's my rant for the day. I don't think that's what high school sports is all about. I think all these scores that we're seeing, and again, it's football. I'm all here for competition. I'm not here for participation trophies. If somebody can't stop you, there's not really much you can do about it. And uh, But we've even seen this, like, the other week, Sentinel beat Flathead 54 to nothing. That's a team in Sentinel that's won 16 in a row. It's a team in Flathead that scored, like, three touchdowns this entire year. 54 to nothing is a, is a butt-whooping. But they called off the dogs as hard as they possibly could, and they were they were basically going out of their way to not win by more than 54 points because that's enough. And so I just think that there's a little ways that Columbia Falls could have handled that differently. I don't really know what the benefit is for anybody involved in that game for 81 nothing, and I definitely know that there's a lot of detriment to all of that. So that's my rant for the day, but uh, I think you got to give respect to Browning for continuing to field a team and continue to try to compete in a sport that maybe is not uh, their wheelhouse as a high school and uh, as a, a institution within the middle of one of Montana's reservations. So uh, that's about all I got to say about that. But 81 nothing is unnecessary, and uh, I think that we should figure out a way to go a different route because it can't be legislated. It just has to be a choice. Snuana is now 102.9 ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanez, broadcasting to you live from the Northwest Motorsports Studio. More football, including a guy from the Class A level, Vince Huntsberger. It's our latest Grizz Greats. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Well, I started out down a dirty road. Started out all alone. And the sun went 
What up? Happy Tuesday, everybody. Tuana is now 1029 ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Thanks so much for being with us. You hungry? I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. I know you're probably hungry, too. Even if you're not right now, you're going to be. I got a way to fill your belly. Tagliari, best sandwiches in the history of the face of the earth. So good. They are, uh, they've been named best sandwiches in Montana by both People Magazine and the Food Network. It's as good as it gets. Italian-style sandwiches. They stack them up nice and thick. It's a uh, homemade, locally made bread. It's as good as it gets, man. They're located there at the corner of Beckwith and Higgins. Go check them out. Go try them out. And each Tuesday, tune in to Nuana's Now for your chance to win 25 bucks from Tagliari. Let's do it right now. 406-888-1029. That's 406-888-1029. Caller number three. I got 25 bucks to Tagliari Delicatessen for you. Give us a call right now. 888-1029. We got a $25 gift card for you to go check out the best sandwiches in all of Montana. Our Grizz Greats podcast series continues. We are doing a 20th anniversary, 20 episodes to commemorate Montana's 2001 National Championship. Got episodes with Dylan McFarlane, John Edwards, and the following guy posted. Here's an excerpt from the latest Grizz Greats. When you play at Montana and so much success, like you think you're going to win. Like you're not used to losing. So you just have this culture that we win, we win, we win. And then once you make the national championship, I mean, you obviously know that you can compete with anybody at that level and just gives you confidence the next year. And then it gives you, you feel more hungry to go out and win it. You know, you can get there, you know, you can do it. And then it's just, again, the trials and tribulations of a year of football. It's hard. There's so much going on with young athletes, games and travel, school. And it's always one of those things where you know you can do it, but can you get back to it? Can you win it? That's everybody's goal. It's very difficult to do, but we we had a solid senior team. We had good leaders. We had uh, good coaches. And we knew we had the ability to. Not that we know we were going to win it. No. Hello welcome to Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of Montana's 2001 National Championship. This is a 20-part podcast series presented proudly by First Security Bank of Missoula and Blackfoot Communication. I'm Coulter Nuanas, and I'll be your host for this 20-part podcast series chronicling the last national championship captured by the University of Montana football team. In this episode, we'll feature Vince Hunsberger. He's a safety from Libby, Montana. He was a senior on that 2001 national championship team, a two-time Big Sky Conference defensive MVP, the runner-up for the 2001 Buck Buchanan Award, the leading tackler in Montana history with 469 total stops, including 265 that were solos. That includes the playoffs and numerous All-American honors in 99, 2000, 2001. He was a team captain, a three-time All-Big Sky Conference selection, four-year starter, and he went 45-10 and 10 in his Grizz career with four, count them, four Big Sky Conference championship rings. And oh, by the way, he maintained a 3.87 GPA, majoring in biology and pre-med. He was also a three-time academic All-American and a national finalist for the William B. Campbell Trophy, given to the National Scholar Athlete of the Year each year, back during his senior year. Vince now is a doctor in Sandpoint, Idaho, and and one of the most accomplished men that you'll find from this 2001 National Championship team. Without further ado, Vince Huntsberger. Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Championship.
we uh, recap a little bit more of that playoff run, Vince, I want to ask you just about the regular season as a whole. Two questions. First of all, was there a moment in the season that you knew you guys had a special team? Because it seemed like you played some close games early and then uh, got some momentum and kind of started rolling people down the stretch. So was there a turning point that you remember, hey, we, we, we might be able to make a run at this thing? I don't remember the exact uh, turning point during the season. Um, you know, I think it was we started off um, – you know, well, we went down to uh, Cal Poly, which was a good team. Then we ended up going to Hawaii, and, and we competed well with Hawaii. They had some great players, um, and, you know, uh, they obviously beat us, which some somewhat to do with you go down there with the luau's and you're hanging out at a beach and you're snorkeling and you're like four days in paradise, which is difficult to then go and um, uh, play. But we knew that, you know, we could compete. We competed with them. Uh, we ended up beating the University of Idaho, which one of our – Obviously, longtime rivals that uh, had moved up into the next division had more scholarships than us, so that was always a big, you know, motivator and push. And you know, throughout the regular season, again, I don't think there was any time that I felt like, oh, we we you know made this play and that kind of turned the season around and and we went. I think it was just you know from the beginning of the season and, and confidence throughout and and just you know every time you win a game or complete with a really good team, you just have confidence for the next game that. Um, you're going to be able to compete and you're always going to have a chance to win. Again, we don't win every game um, most seasons. Uh, there's a few times that people have, but, uh, you know, it's it's one of those where you just know you can compete. And then, you know, during a game, like you have to play solid and we play those good teams. Uh, you, you can't give up big plays. You know, you got to protect the ball, kind of your basics of football, of, of not having turnovers. And, and as a defensive player, you know, really not allowing the big plays. Those usually will hurt you because, you know, again, you can stop somebody – 50 times and then if the two big plays go for touchdowns that's going to be the difference of the game so it's kind of that consistency which our coaches always you know taught us is you know you know don't give up the big play i mean and you can say that you can do it but it's really how you get coached i mean coaches can say it all day long like don't give up the big play but it's it's the system you're put in and how they coach you that allows you not to give up the big play and they did a great job of that uh making sure that um, you know, the best we could, uh, we wouldn't do that. And we'd keep ourselves in the games and we always were in the game. So whether it was Hawaii or, um, you know, other teams, we were always, you know, kind of right there for the, for the end to, to have a chance to win. And, Obviously, we won most of them, and we won the last one. But i got to ask you about the end of the regular season, because not just one, but two rivalry games. So Montana State, at that moment in time, seemed like a foregone conclusion, because you'd beaten the Bobcats 15 years in a row, and then you guys made it 16 with a 38-27 win over Montana State in Bozeman. But then you had to play another rivalry game instead of taking a bye before the playoffs, because the Idaho game, scheduled for early in the season, was canceled because of September 11th. So you had to play back-to-back rivalry games going into the playoffs. What do you remember about those games? Did that help you hurt you what would you think of playing two rivalry games going into the postseason yeah i think it helps you i think anytime you can play it's better i think there's there's benefits to a bye weekend right you could uh, recover you get to um kind of think about the team more you get to maybe scheme more but as players and coaches most of us want to play like most of us don't want to buy week i mean obviously you want to buy week if you're injured like i need another week to recover but other than that i think and the rivalry games are fun. I mean, that's what we compete for. I mean, people love you. You want the game to mean something. And so I think us having the MSU game and then the Idaho game back to back coming into the playoffs um, is helpful. You know, it hurts you in the sense that some guys are going to get banged up because that's football. But I think as an athlete and as a coach, you always want that. And it wouldn't mean something. It just, you know, again, you're going to want to go out and play your best and, and give it your all. And uh, there'll be no letdown. So I think with those two games, you know, towards the end of the season, I think were beneficial, uh, uh, for us. So, no, it was, it was fun. It's always fun to play the, the MSU game and again, know a lot of the guys still know a lot of the guys that, 
that played on that uh, team and, you know, have 16 years in a row is to never lose to your in-state rival is obviously great for your, the rest of our lives to be able to say we never, never lost. Obviously the next year that streak ended, which it had to end at some point. So, you know, you take it for what it is. And, and I think coach Glenn, you know, took it very well and the team did. It's like, you know, obviously you don't want to win it, but at some point, you know, they're going to get you. I mean, 16 years in a row is a lot of years in a row to beat uh, one team. And then, you know, Idaho was a great game and we always competed well with them. I think it was always, you know, good for us. Cause obviously at that point in time, they were the, the one a, so they had the more scholarships and, you know, I don't think they ever thought they were just going to come in and, and, and roll us, uh, you know, or anything like that. So uh, they were always very competitive games. We were always super excited because you were playing up, you know, and we never looked at it that way. I guess I didn't when I played against them. Um, you know, I'm glad they're back down to the big sky. I think, you know, they tried it at the higher level, which is good for them, but I, I love having it back in the conference. I think it's, super competitive and and i think it makes the big sky a stronger conference so um no i think having the two games at the end of the season that were both um motivators going into the uh playoffs was beneficial and helped us end up winning the national championship well a double overtime win over the vandals at home a win over northwestern state like you mentioned that you had to rally for a resounding win over sam houston state in missoula again and then domination of northern iowa 38 nothing in the semifinals uh reminiscent of when montana destroyed a stephen f austin team 70 to 7 in the semifinals of the 95 championship to take all the momentum in the world at to huntington west virginia but you guys then take all that momentum to chattanooga tennessee and uh, a place that you'd been the year before but you take on a Furman team and the defense, perhaps the arguably, arguably the greatest performance in the history of the University of Montana in a single game. You guys basically pitch a shutout until the very last play of that game, and you walk away with a 13-6 to victory. Vince, what are your most vivid memories of that afternoon, and how were you able to execute and play so sharply defensively? Well, I guess I'll start with they were, I was just getting made fun of because uh, the last play of the game for a shutout would have been the only national champion shutout uh, uh, by a team I instead of catching the ball, I tried to bat the ball and I did not bat the ball hard enough, obviously. And the guy caught it and ran for a touchdown. So some of the guys, Trey young and some other people were sending out some texts, making fun of me about giving up the, the shutout. So I probably won't live that one down the rest of my life. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the momentum was huge for us coming into that game. Again, we had played uh, Sam Houston and then uh, Northern Iowa. So feeling very confident um, going down to Chattanooga and we'd been there before. So, you know, the year before that really helps you when you're have seen it, it's common to you, you know what to expect. Um, it's helpful for, um, you know, any athlete at any stage uh, of their uh, career. So I think the coaching staff and the players were all ready. We'd been there. Um, we weren't uh, wide eyed by any means. And, and I think we were well, well prepared. I think the coaches had a great game plan coming in. They had a great running back and a great team and, and they'd put up numbers and they'd beat Georgia Southern the, the, the week before, which, uh, you know, it's a great team that had been competing for the national championships uh, every year there, uh, similar to us. So uh, I think we just had a great game plan. We were ready. No one was, and they didn't throw any, you know, they didn't throw anything different. They, they, as a team, when we started playing the game, you know, they stuck with what their um, game plan was, which was running with their top-notch running back. Uh, Lewis Ivory was a great running back, and they, um, they knew that, and so they weren't going to go away from that, and we were ready for it. I mean, we played really well, and um, once we then started forcing them to pass a little bit further into the game, that is not who they were, and you could tell they weren't that comfortable um, 
you know, with that. So, yeah, I think we were very well prepared. Again, the coaches were ready. We had tons of momentum coming in. We were very confident, you know, so I think coming into the game, um, you know, we knew we had a very good chance of, of, of winning it. And, and, you know, in the end, we ended up winning it. And I think it's just a contribution in, uh, from all the coaches and the players and the hard work throughout the season. And, and again, having that uh, experience from the year before, really giving you an edge coming in, not being wide-eyed, not being um, anxious or, uh, you know, not knowing what's going to happen, I think really helped us a lot in the national championship game. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. The 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions presented in part by Blackfoot Communications as well as First Security Bank. Check out Grizz Greats. Please subscribe. We'll have a bunch of more episodes rolling out this week because Saturday is the actual anniversary game of Montana's 2001 National Championship team. So we have episodes with Johansi Humphrey, Atu Molden, and I actually just heard back from the one and only Joe Glenn, the head coach. So we'll have all those for you leading up to Saturday's game. So go subscribe to Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming at you, Justin Angle. In studio, if you're watching on TV, you already know that. He's here early. I guess we're actually late. Either way, a business angle coming at you. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. The world may have slowed down, but it didn't stop. If you're back on the road and traveling to Missoula, we invite you to give Missoula's Wingate a try. We love our regular corporate guests and offer fantastic service, great year-round rates, and clean and comfortable rooms that will keep you coming back. While you're here, you can rack up the Wyndham Rewards points for free nights or airline miles. And starting in July, you can release some steam in our newly expanded fitness room. The team at Missoula's Wingate would love to make you feel at home Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 